scripture reading is from Acts 6, 1 through 7. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes or on page 782 in a worship Bible. Please, please follow as I read. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we shall appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they sat before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Bev. Appreciate that. Well, we took a one-week break from the book of Acts, but now we're going to return to this book that we've been studying. If you're new among us, what we do here is we come to this point of the, of the, of the message uh, of the worship time, and we take time to read a section of Scripture and to simply talk about what it meant for that day and what it means for us today, what the writer was trying to communicate at that time and what we believe the Holy Spirit is trying to communicate to us today to help us because we believe these are the words of life which God has given to us. And so we've been studying through the book of Acts, it's, the length, it's a lengthy book, and now we're returning to it, it and we're finding ourselves here in the sixth chapter of this book. And in this book, you will see that this is the story of how the church got its start when it first began, the earliest days of the church and all the things that happened. And it's a very important book for us to look at because we're a new church as well. We're just a couple of years old, and we're trying to figure out, well, how do we make sure we grow to healthy maturity as a church family? And what do we need to do to make sure that God does in us what he did in that first day. So we've been looking at that, at that uh, scripture, to, uh, that, that, that text together, and it's been a healthy and, hel and a helpful pro uh, process for us. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment what an exciting time it must have been there in that early church. In a few short months, I mean, not more than three years probably have passed during the first seven, or eight or ten chapters of the book of Acts. So in the first few months, they had gone from being a frightened group of followers to a burgeoning force in Jerusalem. They had stood up against religious leaders. They were seeing many people come to faith in Jesus, the resurrected Messiah. These were exciting days. Several thousand people were gathering outside the temple courts in Solomon's portico and meeting daily and regularly in their homes to think about what it meant to live like new creation here that God had come and raised up Jesus Christ and given His Holy Spirit into our hearts to make us brand new people so that we could live like new creation in the midst of this world, uh, looking forward to the ultimate new creation which God would bring when Jesus would return. These were exciting days, but they were not days without problems. 
we've been seeing over the past few weeks that there were some very serious problems that had occurred in that church family. First of all, they had found some, they were being attacked by Satan himself. Remember that there were some people who tried to manipulate uh, the, the Holy Spirit and pretend to be something other than they weren't. That was Ananias and Sapphira, and we heard about them in the early part of Acts chapter 5. And this was a problem for the church. There were some um, very serious issues going on. But then there was some, also we saw there was some opposition from outside as the religious leaders did not like the popularity of this brand new sect that they at that point thought of being a sect from within Judaism. They didn't like these people were untrained, hadn't gone to the right schools, and in fact, they were saying some bad things about the religious leaders. People were supposed to be going into the temple to get their spiritual experience of God, but here they were experiencing God outside the temple in temple courts, and this was not pleasant for them, and so they had put them into prison, and, and there was an opposition from without. And now we see in this section that in addition to the, you know, the spiritual powers that were working against them and the political powers that were working against them, they encountered some conflict right from within their number, right from within themselves. And it's found there in this sixth chapter, which, uh, which, Bev, uh, which Bev read for you. Now, in those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. There were some conflicts going on there. And so in the midst of this time, they had to take a look at uh, not just the conflicts out there, but even from within their own selves, because the Hebraic and the Hellenist ones, I'll talk about that in a minute, these were people from right within their own family. There was some dissension in the ranks, some uncertainty that everybody's being cared for. Was there some favoritism play, taking place? Was there some uh, uh, problems in terms of how they would serve people? And so in order for that church to continue to be healthy and grow and not be weakened as it moved forward, they would need to pause for a moment reevaluate their priorities, and restructure in order to continue to grow. Well, I see a lot of parallels in this scripture of the ecclesia there in Jerusalem and the ecclesia here in Cave Creek. We're a new church. We've been seeing lots of great things happen in our church family, lots of exposure, lots of people coming in. We started, you know, with, you know, very little... Uh, uh, resources, and yet God has brought many of us together, and we're growing, and it's exciting. We're, we're developing a, a, a ministry to serve this community, to bless this community. We've seen a lot of great things happen in our church family, and we have before us a future filled with possibilities and with opportunities. But like them, we need to take some time to make sure we are poised for future growth. Because as you become a little bit larger, you need to make sure you've got a little bit more structure to help you succeed. So let's take a look at this story and see how they dealt with their growth issues and also ask ourselves, what can we learn to help us as we uh, eagerly anticipate the year ahead of us as we continue to grow? We can expect to grow quite rapidly during the course of this next year. How can we make sure that that growth is healthy and that we really are taking care of people? So we're going to take a look at under two headings. First of all, the problems and their solution. And then secondly, the principles and their application. So let's take a look, first of all then, at the problems and their solution. You can go on to the next slide there, Brian. And here's what was going on there. There were some problems that came up as they, as they began to uh, as they began to go. Everything was going 
Well, but some things were not happening. What was happening was that, in particular, there was a sense that the poor were being neglected among them, that the poor were being neglected among them. Verse 1, now in those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because the widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of the food, okay? Well, what was going on is that, what was going on was this. In that church, they understood that God cared how you treated the poor and how you treated the marginalized. And in that culture, the most marginalized of all people were widows and orphans. They were the weakest, the most vulnerable, the ones most needing to be cared for, for reasons that had to do with the social, political nature of their uh, environment. With a woman who did not have a living husband was very uh, potentially destitute if she did not have family to take care of her. And so they, when they began this church, they were very sure to make sure that they were feeding, apparently daily, feeding the widows among them and taking care among them. And so we need to see this isn't just about widows, but it's about taking care of people who have needs and taking care of them. And they, they were, uh, 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 it was important that, every, that all those needs got met. Now, what had happened was that in every culture, there are differences, between us. You know, there are big differences, like maybe the place where the, 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 the political citizenship that we have, or the national identity that we have, or the ethnic identity that we have. But there are also minor differences. And there were some what we would call minor differences that existed among them. They were, at this point, they were all Jews. At this point, they were all, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, Jews who had converted to follow Jesus Christ. But some of them were Jews that had been local. And some of them were Jews who had other ethnic backgrounds. What had happened is 500 years before, the Jews had been scattered. Most people had left Jerusalem. And while they were there, they picked up, they, they kept their faith, but they picked up a lot of the mannerisms and characteristics and the language especially of the places where they lived. This was good. They were supposed to do that. And now these people are together, and they're all Jews. They're all followers of Jesus, but they're different from one another. Some are what they call here the Hebraic Jews, and some are the Hellenist Jews. What the Hellenist Jews means is that they were Greek-speaking Jews. What had happened was that uh, as they've been far away, for most of them, Greek was either their main or their second language. That was the language that they spoke. And so they even had a whole Bible written in Greek that had been produced in Egypt in Alexandria a couple hundred years, years ago. Very influential Bible printed all in Greek, and it was called, you might have heard it called, the Septuagint. It was a very famous scripture that people used, and so people just worshiped in Greek. They, they read the Bible in Greek. They spoke in Greek. They thought in Greek, and now they're part of this church, and their background is Greek. They're Hellenistic. Jews. But then there were other people, probably people who were native to the Palestine area. For them, Greek was at best their second, maybe their third language. The basic language that they spoke, for the most part, was Aramaic and perhaps Hebrew. By this time, Hebrew wasn't the natural language most people spoke in Palestine. It was Aramaic. When Jesus did his teaching and his, all this stuff, he did it in Aramaic. The scriptures were written in Greek but the conversations had all happened basically in Aramaic. You don't read in Aramaic except when you read Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? A few words that make it into the Greek New Testament. But for the most part, 
They spoke in, in Aramaic, but their language was written in Greek. And so you had these people. They were Jews with one another. They were followers of Jesus with one another. But they had these background differences. You know, we have background differences, don't we? We get to know them, you know. Uh, sometimes they have to do with our age differences. Sometimes they have to do with our political differences. Sometimes they have to do with, uh, well, what, what teams we wrote for what teams we root for, you know, what preferences that we have, all those sorts of things. And those things can become problematic. Well, what had happened was that there, grows the, there grew this uh, sense that maybe the Hellenistic Jews, the Greek-speaking Jews, were being left out a little bit in the serving of the widow's food, that they were being overlooked, maybe not intentionally, but the poor were being neglected. And this was a big problem because the Scriptures very clearly teach that followers of God should take care of the poor. Even the 12th Psalm, which we just read earlier today, I don't know if you noticed it or not, but you see that there was an emphasis about the importance of the poor in the 12th Psalm. So that was the first problem. The second problem was this. Because of that, the people were murmuring. Go ahead, you can go ahead, Brian, to the next one. People were murmuring. They were upset, and they were getting angry. And, the, and I say murmuring because it's a reference to the Old Testament. When you remember that people were traveling under, as, as they'd been taken out of Egypt, and before long they began to murmur against Moses and murmur against God. And there was sort of dissension among the ranks. There was a division. And this was very important. This was a big problem. One of the things that we forget is that unity in the body of Christ is one of the primary witnesses to the world that Jesus is alive and he was raised from the dead. How did Jesus say they would know that we are his disciples? They will know you are Christians by your doctrine, right? Are you listening? <laughs> well, what is it, easy? By their love, exactly. Thank you. I'm glad someone's not sleeping in here. Good. They will know we are Christians by our love. And so if we don't have a, a mixed community who love one another, it brings into disrepute the gospel of Jesus Christ. A lot of us are way more concerned about doctrine than we are about love. I'm not saying that both are, that neither is, that one is unimportant. They're both important. But we are prone to be more concerned that we think right than that we love right. And they were in danger of not loving one another, and this was a problem in the church. And there was a third problem that began to happen, and the third one that you put in there, Brian, is that the preachers were overworked. Now, I like this point. The preachers were overworked. Technically, it was the apostles, but we call the preachers. Here's what was going on. And the twelve summoned, excuse me, uh, and the twelve, that's the disciples, Someone did full number of the disciples. The twelve were the apostles, the key leaders of the church. They summoned the full number of the disciples. No, they gathered, gathered the whole church together. And they said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, pick out from among you seven men. Now, what had apparently been happening was that the apostles were doing all, they were handling the daily distribution. They were taking care of the widows. They were doing all the preaching. They were doing all the teaching. They were doing far too much of the work. And that was probably why details were getting lost. People weren't being served well. And so the danger for them was that they would neglect their more important tasks in order to solve this also important task. It's not that one is more important than the other. It's that it was important for them to do the primary thing they had been called to do. 
and their primary calling had been to preach and to pray, to proclaim the Word of God and to pray. To, the preaching is the speaking of the words of God to the people. And the prayer is the bringing of the prayers of, the God, of God to the people. It's that priestly function that they had been doing, okay? And they were uh, neglect. They said, if we, if we turn our attention to this problem, important though it is, we will neglect what it is that God has called us to do. And so this then out, brought together a, an underneath problem that needed to be fixed in that church, and it's this fourth one, and that is that their structure was ineffective. Hopefully it fits on there. Their structure was ineffective. When they were young and small, they could handle the preachers doing everything, taking care of everything, and everything just sort of happening. But as the church got more stable and strengthened, there needed to be an appropriate structure to be able to serve the growth of their ministry. And so we see that the problem in the church wasn't really a spiritual problem. It wasn't a sin problem. It was a structural problem. And sometimes we try to think something spiritual when it's purely just structural. You know, you need to make a decision to help it. You know, or it's a sin problem, and it's not that. It's that we need to just find a way to tweak it so that things can work well. So this was the problem and the, the problems. What are, secondly, the solutions that they came up with? We see that in the next section. You go on to that, Brian. He said, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, to whom, at whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So what they decided to do was to restructure the ministry, to make sure that they found people whose gift and passion it was to serve in this way and equip them and commission them and appoint them and empower them to carry on that ministry. That way the apostles could do what it was God had called them to do, and the church could also meet its other function of taking care of the poor by having people take care of those ministries. So that's what they did. And it says, but we will devote it. And when they had said, please, the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Econor, and Timon, and Parmenus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And notice this. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. What does this say? They're almost, you might say, ordaining them to ministry. And so, go on to the next one here, Brian. What they de- realized what they wanted to do is they wanted to release all the ministers. They understood that because the Holy Spirit had been given to them all, and they had different functions, but they all were equipped and empowered and expected to, to serve in ministry according to the way that God had given them. What they realized that they had unwittingly held back the full release of the power of what was available in that church because they were doing all the work themselves. You see, I'm trying to talk myself out of some jobs here this morning, right? I don't want to be doing everything myself. And (laughs) lest you misunderstand, one of the great things about our church is we have so many people doing so many things, we hardly know what's going on sometimes, right? So that's all good. But in any case, he wanted to release all the ministers, we have this distinction between laymen, lay and clergy, you know, preachers and people. There's no evidence of that in the earliest days of the church. Later on, they developed that. But everyone was called and sent in ministry. The question is, are you doing what it was you're called to do? 
And uh, let's imagine that you've got a really serious toothache, which I've had not too long before. You've got a really serious toothache, and you go and you see your dentist on the outside doing the landscaping of her office or his office. And you go in and you see this receptionist, and you say, i got this really serious toothache. Can I see the dentist right now? I need to have some relief for this. And she says, well, yes, you can, but just wait an hour or two until she finishes doing the landscaping. You'd say, wait a minute, something's wrong here. We need to make, you, the dentist needs to make sure the landscaping is taken care of, but I need a dentist to take care of my needs. That's a problem that often happens in the church. We all are ministers. We should serve according to our giftedness. And as they laid hands on those who were served, it was an evidence that what they were doing in serving the poor was just as important, just as called, just as just as satisfying to God, pleasing to God, as what the apostles were doing in preaching and prayer, okay? What were the results? Let's go to the next section of this, Brian. What were the results of these decisions? Well, we see that many great things happened as they did this. First of all, the poor were served. The people among them were better served by people who were called and passionate about this. The poor were served among them. The widows were being treated equally and equitably. And the thing that you will notice about this is, if you could read between the lines here, you would notice the kinds of names that, uh, that were used. Let's take this in a, uh, um, in, in a contemporary example. Let's say, for example, that we were to say we were a church and we had multiple ethnic groups in here, and there was, we were serving the poor widows, okay? And we were to say, and, and in that church, the English-speaking widows... Uh, The the Spanish-speaking widows were not getting the same care as the English-speaking widows. You see, that's the, they're, they're both Christians, but the Spanish speak, and so the people are upset. So they bring the, dis, the apostle, and the apostles say, well, let's solve this problem. I need to make sure I focus on what I'm doing. So let's appoint seven people to take care of this. And so they grade the whole church together, and they decide, and they appoint. And they appoint, guess who they appoint? They appoint, they appoint Jose and Esteban and all these Spanish-named people to take care of this ministry. You see what I'm saying? That's exactly what happened in the New Testament church. All the people who were appointed were, had people who apparently had Greek-speaking backgrounds, okay? Philip and Stephen. These were, not, these were not Jewish names. They were not Hebrew, Israelite-ish names. Uh, Philip and Stephen and all these people, they chose to say it pointedly, Hellenistic, Greek-speaking uh, Jews to service the whole problem. What they did is they tried to find the people who could best respond to those needs, okay? So, the poor were served, and secondly, it says, the people were happy. Notice what it says in verse 5. And what they said, you can go on, Brian, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. This made sense to all of them. This makes us happy. And then the third result, and you can put this down as well, Brian, is that the ministry was multiplied. Now, instead of having 12 people doing all the work for 2,000 people, you had 20 people serving. And, of course, that led to lots of different ways of breaking down ministries here or there. Okay? Well, so this is a, a, a simple story about this church and how it was that they made sure, A, they, they remained unified, B, that they, that, they, uh, that they served the poor, 
and see that they did not neglect the teaching and preaching of the Word, how they brought that together. They did it by calling together people and empowering and equipping and releasing them for ministry. And the result was that ministry was multiplied. And look what it says in verse 7, and the Word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Yeah. Great things happened when they began to look at this and figure out how can we do to move forward. Well, well, let's then spend the last five minutes or so thinking about the principles uh, and their application. What are some of the principles that are important for us to note? One is very obvious, and that is not only in the first century, but also in the 21st century, the church should be serving the poor, the widows, orphans, the homeless, people who have physical needs. We would like sometimes to ignore this responsibility, but we do it by thumbing our nose at the witness of Scripture. The Scripture is very clear. The church has a responsibility to take care of those who are suffering, whether it's through illness or poverty or exclusion in some way or another. And so one of the things that I think is important for us to do over the course of this next year is find ways to serve people who may not be able to serve us back as a result. You see, Jesus said when we give water in His name, we're giving it directly to Him, right? When we give food to people who are hungry, we're giving it directly to Him. When we visit people in prison, we're visiting Jesus Himself. When we put a home over the top of people's head, give them shelter, we're giving shelter to Jesus Himself. Could He have been more clear about what He expects? And so we need to find ways, especially in this community where there are a lot of resources available. How can we find ways of serving people? Yes. I don't know exactly how this is going to take shape, but it's something we're going to be thinking about this next year. Got some ideas. We'll be exploring them together. You know, I, I have a, a, a friend who's a part of a church who is involved in serving the homeless one Saturday per month at a church down in Phoenix. They bring food down, and maybe some of you will want to join with us, with them, and, and help them to do that. In fact, I'm planning on doing that at the end of every, I want to see what it's like, and I go down there and, and serve. Maybe we can help them. Maybe we're not large enough to provide a ministry like this all our own, but we can partner up with some people. And some of you uh, might say, that's a way I can serve. I can be involved. They'd serve a, a lunch uh, on the last Saturday of every month, and it's about, about a two or three-hour commitment altogether from start to finish, from the time you leave your home to the time you come back. I hate to say that it's easy to do, but it's something that we could do. I'd like to find out more about that. So I'm exploring that with you. I know some of you, and in fact, this week I plan to get together with someone who's involved with the Foothills Caring Corps, and there's some of you among us who have been involved with that regularly. I don't want to give sort of a head, but Fred here in the middle, I know he's been doing it for years, right, Fred? Yes, he has, and I know I don't want to embarrass you, uh, of serving people, giving them uh, 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 rides to doctors, taking them food, people who are housebound right here in our community, something that we can do. This is what we need to do for Jesus' sake. And I've been told that the blood bank is very short of blood this time with here, especially in the summer. And so I'm going to be exploring some ways that we can be involved in. Those are some examples. But then again, who's coming up with all these ideas? Me. 
No, not just me, right? Let's you find out how you can serve. In fact, these are not all my ideas, but I'm just saying to you, don't put it back on me. Steve, how are you going to help us serve the poor? No, you're missing the point. God wants us to be serving people. Yeah, those are just some examples. There's lots of ways that we can, that we can serve. And, and I'm excited to think about how our church can gain opportunity to serve people in Jesus' name. Oh, it's a wonderful blessing to be able to serve people. And you will, maybe some of you will come to me and see, oh, I, yeah, I, here are some other things that I'm doing or that we know that can be done. Okay, good. Just don't expect me to do it all, okay? You know, we want you to help you and equip you and encourage you to be doing that. We need to be serving people. And then a second application of this is we need, uh, so we, I think I second there, to structure for growth. Is that the next one, Heather, Brian? Next one? To structure for growth, yeah. So what we want to be doing is finding a way to coordinate our work together so that you can be able to serve people well. And, uh, and so we'll be developing some prayer teams and some other kinds of teams, ministry teams to serve people. That'll be coming up here in the next, uh, in the next few uh, months as we... And then the third thing is to release the servants. To release the servants. So we want to set you free to follow God's passion for your life. To follow what it is God wants you to do. We want to help you to experience that and to find the joy that comes from doing what it was you were created to do. You can find God's pleasure as you serve Him. And so they also can release me to be able to do some of the things that I need to do with the ministry of Word and of prayer. And the last thing that I will say as we close the time together is one of the things that I do, I don't talk about it much, but every, every, on, on a regular schedule, I go away to spend time, I kind of hate to bring this up, but I'm just telling you, to spend time in prayer for you and for the future of our ministry time together. I'll be doing that in the next couple of weeks. And I would like to be able to pray, especially for needs that you have in your heart and your mind. Now, normally when you fill out that information card, it goes and uh, someone takes it and, 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 and takes it and then, uh, uh, you know, gives it to me ultimately. But today, I want to assure you that if you put down a prayer request on the back of that paper, I will be the only one who will see it. Okay? So the next couple of weeks, as we do this together, if you have something you want me to be praying for, for you, for the next, uh, you know, in, in, in the next couple of weeks, I want to make sure that those are given directly to me, and I will earnestly take time to pray for you. And we will have a special time for prayer. Um, and uh, ultimately, we'll do this in some new ways, but I want to be doing that uh, for you. Because it's important that a preacher take time to pray for his people. Do you believe that? It's important. And so that's one of the challenges the Lord has laid on my heart is to make sure that I make time, not only for the ministry of the Word, which I find myself easily attracted to, but also for the ministry of prayer, which is very important. Well, the end result of all this was that the church, con the Word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So great and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I am excited as we kind of are on the cusp of beginning a new season of ministry to see what God will be doing in the months ahead. And I want to set you free to serve according to the way God is leading you so that you can find fruitfulness and fulfilled, being fulfilled in ministry for the sake of Jesus Christ as He works in and through your heart. Let's have prayer as we close. Father, we're so grateful and thankful that You've given us something to do. 
You've given us the opportunity to serve people. Oh, we are such a selfish society. And we all know our lives are enriched when we give away to others. And may we in this church be at the forefront of that. Oh, I'm excited about the many ways I see that already happening. And I'm excited the way I know it will continue to happen as we set one another free to do what you've called us to do. So help us in this next year to be able to um, release people to become all that you want for them to be so they can serve people in Jesus' name so they can be a witness to the world of the good news of Jesus Christ. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.